As we begin this morning, I want to talk about something that we see in Scripture several times. Um, if you look at the story of Joseph, you see this is a gift given by the Pharaoh to Joseph when he was put in command. If you look at the book of Esther, you see this is a gift that was given by Esther's husband, the king, to Mordecai when he was put in command, and that is the gift of a signet ring. A signet ring was something that was fairly common within ancient times because that ring was designed with a unique image that represented the rule and authority of that particular king or ruler at the time. It was often used to authenticate something that was either owned by the king or was to be sent out uh, with the authority uh, of the king. For example, if you look at the book of Esther, you'll see the decree was sent out to all the, the subjects of the kingdom of that king. And to authenticate that, a letter was written. And typically the way it worked is on the bottom of that letter there would be uh, wax that would have been poured onto the letter. And then that ring would then been pressed into the wax so that image would then be portrayed, giving that decree the, the rule and authority of the king. I tell you that because I want you to know as we continue our study this morning that when God made you and I, He did something very similar. He made us and then pressed within our hearts an imprint of the divine. Scripture says that God set eternity into the hearts of all mankind. We were uniquely created in the image of God, and designed with an eternal purpose in mind. We were given great value and worth, set apart from all of His creation. And as Jeremiah tells us, God did then and still today has plans to take care of us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. But as we talked about last week, there is an enemy who seeks to distract us from God's design. He counters God's truth with lies and deception that lead us down a path of painful destruction. And he does so by inviting us to live outside of God's design, promising to us something better than what God originally intended. We saw that last week when we went back to the Garden of Eden and we looked at that conversation between Satan and Eve. And you'll remember one of the things that he said to her was surely you won't die as eve explained to him the instructions given to them by god he says he's only suggested that to you because he knows that when you eat from this tree then your eyes will be opened and you'll be like god and you'll know good from evil in other words god's really not giving you his very best in fact he's holding something back from you that's not true. God does want to give you His very best. And it is built into His design. But the core of every sinful temptation is the belief in the lie that there's something better that's outside the plan of God. This morning we're going to continue in our study of the biblical foundation of marriage and family. And as we said in the beginning, this is a study that is grounded in the belief that God's Word is the divine blueprint for the foundation and framework of all relationships that were ultimately created by God 
made in his image in order to carry out his good and perfect will. And when we follow God's plan, there is a promise that we will experience all the goodness that he built into that design. For example, last week we looked at that one flesh relationship made in the image of that one nature of God. A love that we see in the Trinity that is exclusive and undivided in that marriage relationship between one woman and one man, husband and wife. It's a love that that unites the man and a woman more than just physically, but spiritually and emotionally as well. It's a love that, that seeks the highest good of the other. And that is a love, a divine love. It is an attribute of God's very own self-sacrificing, life-giving love. It's a love that brings unity, even though within that relationship there is a diversity of roles. The wife's submission does not diminish her value any more than the submission of Christ diminished His deity. And just like the Father's example for us, husbands are called to love their wives, to protect them, to exalt them above any other love in their life. Marriage was created in God's image. And there are divine blessings built in when we follow that plan. And one of those blessings is family. It was created by God and for a specific purpose, which is what we're going to unpack together this morning. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, when we come to you this morning, we come with a heart that desires to be led by your Spirit, to know what is true, and to be able to identify it in contrast to what is false in the world around us. We want to understand what your original design was intended to be, how your goodness was built into it. And and knowing that we struggle this side of heaven because sin wants to distract us from that design. So help us to see more clearly the path that you've laid out for us that is according to your will, carrying out your good, perfect purposes in our lives. That's our prayer, Father. Lead us in that way. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, like I mentioned last week, I believe it's increasingly important as we continue through this story to keep going back to that image of who God is as we seek to understand the relationships that were created in His image. Because like we see in the marriage relationship, the family too bears an imprint of the divine. We see the the character of God being lived out in that divinely ordained relationship of a family. We see it in fathers. We see it in mothers. We even see it in the life of a child. Now, if you've been to our Foundations of Faith class on Sunday night, you'll be familiar with some of the stuff that we walk through together that relates to this. But for the sake of the group as a whole, I want us to to do this together. And let me begin with this this idea of of, uh, understanding how big our God is. I want us to get a, a picture of how far-reaching that picture is. If you will, turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. There's a lot of passages in Scripture that can help us get a picture of
the magnitude of our great and awesome God. But this is one of those that I think gives us a great sense of perspective in the language that uh, Isaiah uses. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Speaking about God, he says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span of his hand and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. I want you to just stop and think about that for a moment. Measured the waters in the hollow of his hands. This is the God who spoke all things into existence. Who, as the scripture tells us, he put the stars in place exactly where they wanted to be, where he wanted them to be, one by one, and as he did, he named them. Every star in the heavens has a place and it has a name. The psalmist writes that the, the heavens tell of the glory of God and the sky declares the work of his hands. This is a big God who is sovereignly in control of all that he has created. And yet, when you look at Scripture, how does He want you to know Him? How does He reveal Himself? What does He want you, how does He want you to relate to Him? Now, keep in mind, this is the Creator God, sovereignly in control of all things, but He says, I want you to know me as Father. That's how I want you to know me. We see that in the words of Moses when he's speaking to the Israelites. And he said, God carried you through the wilderness like a man carries his own son. All the way he walked with you until you came to this place. The psalmist says, as the father shows compassion to his children, so the the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. If you think about the the question that the disciples asked of Jesus when they said, Lord, teach us how to pray, what does he do? He says, when you go, say, our Father. That's how God wants us to know him. And I believe it's because some of the very same attributes of who God is as our Heavenly Father is to be mirrored in the life of earthly fathers as well. We are to love our wife and kids with that same fatherly love that we see in God. We are called to protect our family as God protects us. To provide for our family as God provides for us. It's no accident that what we see designed by God in the family relationship is to be a reflection of what is demonstrated by Him in all of creation. The love of a father. But we also see the example of the love of a mother within that picture of how God has revealed himself as well. Turn to Isaiah chapter 49. We'll stay in Isaiah. Just flip over a few pages. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Isaiah writing here says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? Have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, but I, God, 
will not forget you. Go over to Isaiah chapter 66. Let me give you one more. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 12. Again, speaking about himself, this is what he wants to reveal. He says, thus says the Lord, verse 12, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall be nursed, and you shall be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees, and as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. The point here is that God loves us just in the same way that we see the, the tender devotion of love within a mom. I mean, really, there's, there's nothing sweeter, if you think about it, than seeing a mom holding a sleeping baby in her arms. And, and every time we look at that peace and tranquility in that child, it should remind us of what it's like to rest in the loving arms But a mother's love is also sacrificial, isn't it? In a big way. From the moment of birth. Sacrificing comfort and convenience. Sacrificing her own schedule, her own needs for the sake of her kids. Really giving up her own rights in order to live in a way that cares for her children. And this kind of love ultimately finds its origin in Christ. The one who set aside his rights gave away his life in order that we might be saved. The family was created in the image of God, which is precisely why we see the attributes of God being portrayed in what he designed for a father and for a mother. But it's really true even within the life of a child as well. In fact, what does Jesus say about what is necessary in order to enter the kingdom of God. He says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a what? A child cannot enter. We are called to believe in the Lord with a childlike faith, a loving trust, seen no more clearly than in the example of a child for his mom and dad. Once again, I want you to think about Jesus and how he was revealed to us as what? God's own son. And so what we see in the life of Christ gives us a picture of what we would pray for and look for and encourage in the life of our kids. The characteristics of honoring his father, submitting to the father's will, trusting in the goodness of the father. These are examples of what should be seen in the life of a child as well. Just like we see in the mother, just like we see in the father, we see in children the example of how to live that finds its source in the very nature of God. Because ultimately, the family relationship was created out of his image so that who he is was built into that design. And it's how he intended for us to carry out his good and perfect will. Just like in marriage, when we follow God's design, it will accomplish 
that good and perfect will. So I want us to, to look at Scripture to see what it has to say about life as a family. Now, as we do that, I want to give you a little caveat. Because it's going to speak about mothers and fathers and children. And we think about it in kind of our nuclear family. And it's, and it's appropriate to do so, but it really extends beyond that. It extends into grandparents and adopted children and adopted grandparents. If you look at the back of your bulletin, you have an example of what that looks like right here in our own church. So the instructions are quite extensive. And we'll actually unpack a lot of that next week. But for the sake of our time this morning, I want us to kind of look at how it applies to the family as it's instructed in God's Word. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a a good place to start. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So right off the bat, we see very clearly that Moses is speaking to parents and grandparents. He says, teach them to your son and your grandsons, your, your, your daughters and your granddaughters. The, the intent is to be universal there. He then explains why this is important. He kind of gives the, the importance there on the front end before he gives details. He says in verse 2, that your days may be prolonged. Then in verse 3, he wants them to know that if they trust in God's plan, then it will lead them to a place of prosperity. He says, that it will go well with you, and you may multiply greatly. I think this description in part explains God's view of prosperity, which is not in material wealth, but in relational wealth. And specifically in this context, what is seen in the life of a family. Moses is giving instruction on how to build strong families. And he starts right on the front end by including who his audience is and telling them why this is important. And then he goes on to, to give a few more details. Look at verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. So the heart of the message for parents to build strong families is to live a life that is fully devoted to God. In other words, learn to love the Lord God with all you've got and then go and teach your children to do the same. And I want you to notice in verse 6 that it talks about storing this, what I've told you today, on your heart. Why didn't he say, make sure you memorize these words and keep them in your mind? I think it's intentional that he uses the word heart. 
Because when something goes deep enough to affect our heart, it changes how we live our life. I think God wants us to understand that our children learn much more by what they see than by what we say. Let it change your heart. Because there is no greater lesson that our kids will learn from us than, we see, than when they see our lives being transformed into the image of Christ. Not just by what we say, but by what they see being lived out in our life. And then he goes on to give some details of what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. Look at verse 7. He says, And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. As you read these few verses, parents specifically, do you see any time whenever you're off duty? Right? When when you can just relax and not worry about it. As I look at it, it says when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you're going, when you're coming. So you tell me, is there any wiggle room there? (laughs) I don't think so. Now, does that stress you out? Let me tell you why I believe it shouldn't. Let me tell you why I believe it should give you great freedom. And this is the reason why. What this tells me is I don't have to be the best dad leading family devotionals from 7 to 8 every night in my home. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad deal. But what I'm saying is Moses seems to be indicating that there are teachable moments with our kids all throughout the day. And our hearts should be inclined to capture those moments and use them in a way to lead and train and teach our kids. Let me give you just some real practical examples of what that looks like. I don't know if this is true in your home, but for our family, a lot of times we've entered into some of the most meaningful conversations with our kids at night when we go to tuck them in bed at night. Now, sometimes it's a delay tactic, and we're getting pretty good at perceiving this. But there have been some very meaningful conversations where they'll ask, hey, can I ask you a question? Because a lot of times this is when their mind settles down. Phones are away, TV's off, and now they begin to think about things that rise to the top that really are important. And and they want to have a conversation about something that they hadn't been willing to bring up any other time. And so we've had good conversations into the night as we walk through that together. That's a teachable moment. One of the other teachable moments that I think is really important that maybe we're losing touch with here in our fast-paced society, and that's meals. I think it's incredibly important for families to sit down together where you're all sharing dinner with each other, sharing a meal with one another. And I'll just be honest with you. If your life is so busy that you can't do that, you're too busy. Because that is a teachable moment when you have the opportunity to engage with your kids and say, hey, tell me about your day. Tell me something that was good. Tell me something that was hard. There's some important conversations that go on as you share meals together. Another opportunity as your kids get older is you become a chauffeur, right? They're going from one activity to the next, 
And let me tell you, that's a great teachable moment because you've got a captured audience. They can't go anywhere, right? So turn down the radio and begin to have a conversation with your kids about things that are really important in life. And laugh. Tell jokes. Have fun with each other. But don't miss that moment because it's there for a reason. You see them even in the morning. Sometimes when we get ready to begin our day, it is a good opportunity as the kids are having breakfast to say, hey, here's something that you might think about today. Just a little nugget to to set their minds on things above and, and not on things of the earth. Because as soon as they walk out that door and walk into the school, they will be flooded with the wisdom of the world. So maybe begin their day with some truth from God's Word. The point is, is that there's never a point in time in the life of a parent when we are off duty, when we can relax because there's nothing necessary for us at that time. By God's grace, I think he's saying, look, I'm going to give you teachable moments from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Just be attentive to what those opportunities might be and use them to guide and train your kids to put their faith and trust in me. Because, parents, here's the the point of Deuteronomy chapter 6. You have been given, by God's design, the primary responsibility of making disciples, beginning with what happens in your home. And more specifically, dads, you have been given the primary responsibility of being a spiritual leader in your home. And I want to be real frank with you here. It really doesn't matter how much uh, of a better job your wife does with this than you do. It really doesn't matter how good Bruce does in the students' ministry and and Christy and how well they give information to our kids through the children's ministry. Dads, we have not been given the option to delegate the responsibility of spiritual leadership to anyone else no matter how good that person may be. Now, when it comes to the church, I'll admit, Bruce and Christy and those guys who work with them, they do an incredible job. And I'm so glad that we have them here doing what they're doing. But what we do in ministry is ultimately designed to support and encourage what parents should already be doing in the home. It's not a substitute. It's a partnership. Because here's the reality. Let me just kind of put this in perspective for you, okay? Our kids spend, on average, about 80 hours in a given year under the influence of something happening within our church. 80 hours. Compared to parents who will spend over 3,000 hours with their kids in that same year. So you tell me, where's the most important influence? It's what happens in the home under the influence of dads and moms working together to teach their kids what it means to live a life fully devoted to Christ. Learning to love the Lord God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength. And dads, it really is our job to take the lead in that. Actually, the Bible has a lot to say about children as well. 
They're not left out of this story. So if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul is giving instructions and he turns his attention specifically to children. Verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And here's that promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Kids, it may be a surprise to you, that one of the signs of the end times before Christ returns is that increasingly children will be more and more disobedient to their parents. Did you know that? It's one of the signs. In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 1, I encourage you to do this. If you look at Romans chapter 1, it's going to give you a long list of things that will incur divine judgment. And in that list, you're going to see things like murder, You're going to see things like deceit, haters of good, inventors of evil, and right in that same list, disobedience to parents. So why is it that this ranks so high in those things that incur divine judgment and seem to be such a testimony against what God has originally intended? Why is that the case? Well, you'll notice in our passage in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. What that means is that you have an understanding that having a mom and dad was ultimately God's idea. God created the family in His image. And so when you rebel against your parents, it's actually considered to be rebellion against God who created the family to begin with. Let me explain it to you this way. I want you to think about something that's important to you and specifically something that you've created. It could be a song. It could be a, a poem. It could be something that you've made. Okay? The, 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 the example that I have in my mind is our son Grant has a Lego black pearl ship made out of, of Legos, and it's, it's about this big, and it is awesome. Okay? It is super cool. All right? But think of whatever it is for you that you've created or that you've designed like that. And let's say somebody comes up to you looking at that which you've created and they say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. That's the ugliest thing I have ever set my eyes on. Okay, when that happens, are they insulting the thing you created or are they insulting you? They're insulting you, aren't they? Because you created it. You made that. My point is this. God created the family. And he created moms and dads to serve a specific role, which, by the way, is not the easiest task on earth. And so when you disrespect your parents, you're ultimately casting your insults on the creator of that design which is God. Which explains why disobedience towards parents, especially as you look into the Old Testament, is given the same punishment according to the law as treason and worship of idols. 
My point is this. Honoring your mother and father is a big deal to God. And here's why I think that's the case. If you are unwilling to honor your mom and dad, who were put into that role as designed by God, then what are the chances that you will honor God when you are outside of the authority of your parents? Not very likely. Because if you're not honoring your mom and dad, chances are you're not going to honor God with how you live your life. If you're not willing to to follow the, the rules and the boundaries set forth by them, chances are you won't follow the ones set forth by God. This all goes back to trusting in God's design. Because what does Ephesians go on to say? It says in verse 3, if we follow God's design, it will be well with you and you will live a long life on earth. It tells us that's the first commandment of those ten commandments that God gave. It's the first one that has a promise. And that promise is if you'll do this, it will go well with you. Because God is good. And what was created in His image has that goodness built into the design. And parents aren't perfect. We realize that. You realize that, right? More importantly, God realizes that. And so, when you honor Him, you need to know that you're honoring God. And He will honor your obedience. Because His perfection will cover any perfections of what you see in your own family. He will be a father who never leaves you, who never forsakes you. He will be the perfection of whatever imperfection exists in your own home. So as we finish up, let me turn back to the parents and talk about what it means to to kind of live out this instruction of being a godly mom and a godly dad. You see, the family, like the marriage, was created by God and made in His image. We see the the character and attributes of God actually built in to the design, which for us should give what He's created great value and worth. Like the marriage, there are struggles along the way in our families, but not because there's something wrong with the design. It's because we're so easily distracted by our enemy. But I want you to remember that that Satan's goal is clear. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he intends to do. And very often the way he'll do that is by promising you something that is better than what God has ordained for you inside of his design, just like he did in the garden. Oh, he didn't really mean that. If you'll do this, it's even better. He just doesn't want you to know that. That's the deception of our enemy. But we can only discover God's best when we are willing to trust him enough to follow his design. And so, parents, let me give you just a little quick guide of things that that I think help us live as spiritual leaders in our home, both moms and dads, as we guide our kids. Okay, it's four words. You ready? Write these down. Model, train, pray, trust. Okay? We'll walk through these together, but know these words. Model, train, pray, and trust. 
model we've already kind of touched on. It's this old idea of practicing what you preach, right? Because parents, how we live our lives is ultimately the greatest lesson that our kids will ever learn from us. We can be a great Bible student. We can be a scholar. But everything that we teach them with our mouth can be invalidated with how we live our life if we're not modeling them for them what we want them to learn. That being said, modeling doesn't exempt us from teaching. Okay? We can't look at that and say, yeah, I believe that's true, and so I'm just going to live a good life, make good moral decisions, and if they'll just follow that example, then we're all good. Okay. Are your kids going to get to heaven by choosing a good moral life? Is that going to work? Are, are they going to understand what it means to have faith by doing all the right things? Is that what it means? We need to model, but we also need to train. Because we need to teach our kids, speaking often about the forgiveness and grace and love that is found in Christ alone. Because we shouldn't be surprised when our kids make bad choices, when they make wrong decisions, because they have that same sin nature that you and I were born with. So there should be no surprise that that's going to take place. But we need to help them understand the difference between right and wrong. And sometimes that does include discipline. There's consequences to those wrong decisions. But everything we do must teach them the goal of turning their hearts towards Christ, where they, as well as us, ultimately find grace and forgiveness, love and mercy. That's where we need to turn their hearts, towards Christ. But once again, if our kids don't learn to, to honor us as parents and live within those boundaries of our home, then the chances are they won't choose to do that with God either and live within the boundaries of His Word. Parents need to train their kids in a way that you desire for them to live their life, both in how you live your life and how you instruct and guide them through both discipline and instruction. Which brings us to the next attribute of effective parenting, and that's uh, prayer. Why prayer? Because parents whether you have come to this uh, realization or not, I want to tell you very clearly, you have absolutely no ability to change the heart of your child. Okay? You don't. And so that's why prayer is such an important attribute of parenting. Because we can do all the right things, but that does not mean that our kids are going to make all the right choices. So sometimes the best thing we can do as parents is pray for our kids. And let me encourage you to do that as a husband and as a wife. Praying together consistently for the life of your kids. Prayer, I think, in some ways is what keeps us on the same page. And it keeps our heart in the right place as we turn our hearts towards God for the lives of our kids. Because if parenting teaches us anything, it teaches us how to trust, right? especially when our kids get older. Because now they're transitioning to a time in their life where their faith has to become their own. And so they are now believing things, not just because their parents said so, but because they believe those things are true. 
those become their own convictions. And, and now, increasingly, we are losing more and more control over the decisions that they make. So when they go on that date, or go on that party, to that party, or when they turn on that phone, and they're flooded, inundated with the messages of the world, and we can't control that for them. They've got to make some of those decisions on their own. And ultimately, we've got to trust that God actually loves our kids more than we do. Do you believe that? God actually loves your kids more than you do. And here's the other thing. God can be in places with our kids that you can't. So that when you're not there, He is. And so you want them to learn how to turn to Him. You need to trust Him and teach them to do the same. Families as a whole. Our goal is to live out Proverbs 3, verse 4 and 5, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. That's what our goal is as parents, as kids, and ultimately as families. So parents, model what that looks like. Train them to walk in that way and learn to trust in the Lord. And pray for them on those times when when you don't have the ability to control them because you can't change their heart. And ultimately, trust God as you entrust them to Him and help them learn that He is faithful. And He's worthy of their trust as well. Model, train, pray, trust. I hope you see as we've gone through these things together, we've seen so beautifully, I believe, in Scripture how the very image of God is designed within within those things He has created. It's incredibly wonderful to know that His goodness is built in to His design. And when we follow what He's laid out, we get the privilege of experiencing divine attributes built into that which He has created for us to live in. Marriage, family. And then next week we're going to talk about the church because I know there are plenty of single parents here. There are those who've lost kids. There are those who are grandparents and widows and widowers. And, but listen, when we take next week and we see what God intended for the family of God to be, we're all included. It's the household of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And nobody's left out. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So let me pray for our time. God, thanks so much for the beauty of your design, your goodness created within that design so that when we follow you, we experience the very fullness of what you've built into your design. And really, what you've built in to your design is you. It's your love. It's your grace. It's your forgiveness. Those things that our hearts long for most are found when we follow you. Help us to to believe that is true and be faithful as parents. To model, train, pray, trust as grandparents, as adopted grandparents, as adopted families into the family of God. Help our kids to learn to trust you, to believe that you're good, to believe that you've set out a path that you want them to take that, that is 
best for them, not to harm them, but to give them a hope and give them a future. And may they learn to trust in you so that that faith becomes their own. And they believe things not because their parents said so, but because they believe it's true and their heart is devoted to you. Father, thank you for the blessing of what you've given us so that all these things are possible through the Spirit that has worked within us by the grace of the sacrifice that you made on the cross and the love that was displayed, the love of the Father and the life of the Son. We pray this in your name. Amen.